Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. But giving is hard. Do we put too much value on money or things? Are we simply afraid we'll have to do without? Or do we just not see how our giving can make a difference? Join us for a three-part series on living open-handed. going to finish a series we've been doing called Open Handed. This is part three, and we've been doing this series on the idea of some truisms. And and here are the three truisms that we've been looking at. In part one, we talked about this one. It's easier to give what isn't yours. It's easy to give what isn't yours. It's a simple concept of stewardship. It is so easy to give God something once you already know it belongs to him. It's so much easier to give your neighbor's wallet back when you pick it up in their driveway because it belongs to them. Once we understand what is God's, it is so much easier to give to God when he asks. Then the second truism we looked at is that we always have to give what we want to get. And there's a simple reason for this. God wants us to make sure we know where our trust is. God knows. The question is, do we know? Is your trust in your provision or in your provider? Is your trust in what you currently have or in God to give you more? So he will always test us in the area that we have to give what we want to get. Today we're going to look at a very famous phrase. I bet everybody in here has heard this before. You can't outgive God. Who's heard that before? You can't outgive God. There you go. Now, as we're talking about truisms, I need to make sure everybody understands this word. I didn't say we're looking at three verses. I didn't say we're looking at three sentences out of the Bible because here's the thing about a truism. It's not necessarily a verse in the Bible. More importantly, it's not even necessarily a phrase in the Bible. What a truism is, is the culmination. It's the intersection of God's principles and God's promises showing up in your life, right? So it works like this. When we live according to God's ways and then God responds to us living according to his ways, There are some things that always happen. There are some things that are true. They're proven to be true. They become truisms. And so if you try to look through your Bible for the phrase, you can't outgive God, you will not find the phrase, but you will find the principle behind it over and over and over again because it's a promise. So if we're going to talk about promises, I think that's something we should just understand from the beginning, this whole promise idea. Uh, what, what is the deal with God's promises? Too many of us sometimes think that a promise is like God's a magic genie. I promise to you, and I promise to you, and I promise. Like a genie comes out of a bottle, and you shall have, and you shall have, and you shall have. And we misunderstand the fact that almost every time you find a promise of God, if not every single time, there is something that God wants from us that enacts the promise in our life. It begins to release that promise in our life. God always has something for us. And so when I was graduating high school, someone gave me something. You know, let me help you guys out. Graduation presents. When you go to give somebody a graduation present, how many of you give books? Books? Yeah? Stop it. Okay, because here's the thing. Play along. Raise your hand if you got a book for graduation filled with wisdom for the rest of your life that your grandmother thought you should read or something. Now, keep your hands up if you actually read it. Exactly. There you go. But here's what happened. Somebody gave me a book for graduation, tiny little book. One of those books you always see in, in someone's bathroom. Because, you know, sometimes people spend more time in the bathroom than they should. And, and maybe the young ones in here, you don't know this because you've got a phone with Angry Birds. But there was a day we didn't have phones in the bathroom. And so you would read a book and there'd be these little books. And they would always do these books that were, they didn't require ongoing thoughts. So it'd be a lot of one-liners. And so this book that someone gave me was The Promises of God. 
And so you'd start to read it, and there'd be a little thing, here's what God says, here's what God says, here's what God says. Well, it turns out that when I went to college, this was also a time in my life where I really began to pursue God, and it was kind of the, the beginning of, of what I would say is my, my faith, my spiritual life of following God. I really began reading the Bible and, and everything, and so I didn't know all that was in the Bible, but I was starting to discover things. So as I would read through this book, and, and I would see some promises of God, oh, I didn't know that, promise, I didn't know that, promises of God, wait a minute, I know that one, I read that the other day, and you know what? They skip the verse that comes before it that says what I have to do to see that promise. And then I'd read some more. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know. Oh, I've heard that one too. And they did it again. They skipped the verse. That, and it turns out that so often, like even this one, here's an example. How many of you know the promise of salvation, eternal life in heaven with God? Isn't that an awesome promise? Come on. If y'all aren't going to make noise on that one, y'all are just not going to help me today, are you? Let's try this again. Let's pretend we're Christian. There's a promise of eternal life in heaven with God. Come on. Somebody excited about that one? Yeah. Did you know that that one has a condition as well? Is you have to acknowledge Jesus died for you. Not everybody's going to get to heaven and go, oh, uh, excuse me, I'd like to get in because I heard that there's a promise. Well, there is a promise to everyone who says, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. We have to acknowledge he's our Lord. So everything that's out there, God's got something for us. And so as we wrap up our series of Open Handed, what I want to talk to you about today is a financial promise that God has for us. I think it's the most important financial promise. I think it's the first and most important one we need to talk about. And if you were to go through the Bible and write out every single financial promise that God makes, every blessing that he says he'll do, every provision that he says he'll bring, you've got to start with this one or, or, or I think you're going to have a problem seeing some of the others come to reality. So tell me if you like this idea right here. Here's the promise. This is what God says. First of all, he says, I will protect your finances from being devoured. And then the second thing he says is that you will be blessed beyond your needs. Now, very simple question for you. Raise your hand if you'd like this promise fulfilled in your life. Now, this is a real question. Some of you kept your hands down. Let's try this again. Because if you don't want to see this promise fulfilled in your life, I'm going to bring you a microphone and ask you why not. <laughs> Everybody wants this fulfilled in their life, right? I think some of you are just putting your hands down because y'all think y'all know where I'm going with this. But we want this promise in our life. So what I want us to do is look at where the promise comes from and ask the question, is there anything that God asks us to do in order to see this promise fulfilled in our lives? So here we go. We're going to look at a, a, a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. It's in Malachi chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me. If not, it'll be on the screen. If you don't know where that is, then start at Matthew, the New Testament, and then just flip back a couple of pages and you'll find it right there. And I want to show you something you may not have seen before. So we're going to start in verse 6, which if you've ever heard someone preach on this passage, they don't normally start here. They normally start someone else somewhere else, but the passage actually begins right here on verse 6, and it says this, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's funny, and maybe it's just because I kind of know the context here. The Israelites have been kind of bad. They've kind of gotten in trouble, and basically, because I'm a dad, I get this as I'm reading this thing. It says, because I'm good, you're still alive. Come on, parents, anybody with me on this one? You know, when, when your, your little, like, eight-year-old says, I'm packing all my stuff and running away because you're so mean. Because you wouldn't let them have 17 chocolate chip cookies, right? The reason they're alive is not because they were a good child at that point. It is your goodness. It is my goodness. It just leaves you alive. You know when a teenager slams the door and says, I hate you. I can't wait till I'm 18. Yeah, it is your goodness that they make it to 18, right? It is not their good behavior. 
And so the Israelites have been repeatedly disobedient, bad people, and God says, y'all just need to know, you're lucky to be alive. It ain't got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with me. God says, I do not change. That's why you're still here. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. But if you'll return to me, I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Which is a question we're going to answer here in a minute. And and this is great. I love this. I think one of the mistakes of not starting here is we don't understand. What are we talking about today? A promise of God. And where do promises of God begin? But with God. So before we get into what is the promise and, and is there anything God wants from us, why don't we start with the fact that it is God's goodness to us. It is God's intent to us. God says, look, I, you, you've, you've walked away. You've missed what I've been asking of you. And yet I'm still here for you. And I still love you. And I still want good for you. And I still want you to return to me. So please, if you will, return to me, which is the question So how shall we return to you? And he said, it was real simple, because you haven't obeyed my statutes. The answer to how to return is to go back to his statutes. Now, at this point, some of us think that means rules. That's why I didn't want to be a Christian. I'd have to follow rules. No, no, no. It's not about rules. That's not what that word means. Statutes means God's ways. means I've got a way of life, and the enemy has a way of life, and the world has a way of life, but my way of life is not the one you're choosing right now. Matter of fact, some Bibles put it into this word. They say ordinances. You have not followed my ordinances. And you know what that means? Not rules. It simply means my ordinary ways of living. This is what I want for you. It's just my ways of living. And so we ask a question. Will man rob God? And of course, what is the answer? No. How do you rob God? God is in heaven. What can we rob from you? How would we do that? And who would be evil enough to rob from God anyway? So of course their answer was, of course not. But he says, yeah, you are robbing me. Wow, really? So you say, how have we robbed you? And the answer is in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Maybe some of you have heard this preached before. It was one of the most negative messages you've ever heard. You, you hoped you'd never hear someone preach on it again. And yet here we are today. So I want to try to bring some grace to this because, first of all, this thing of you are cursed with a curse, there's a really simple two words in the Bible, and they, they go against each other. One of them is curse. One of them is blessing, curse and blessing. And we, when we think the word curse, we immediately think like witches dancing around a campfire and you know all of that kind of weirdness. But it really is this. A blessing is a positive consequence for following God's ways, and a curse is a negative consequence for following God's ways. Parents get this. There are times we give rewards and times we give punishments because of how our children respond. And God has simply said there's a positive and there's a negative. Now, what, here's what I think is interesting. Don't get caught up on the, the curse part, although that's very true and very important. You need to know that. Here's what I think you should get caught up on. He had to announce it. They weren't aware that they were living in a negative situation. And I think this is a problem that we face today, too. We've got the idea that our lifestyle is normal. Now, if you were here last week when we talked about you have to give what you want to get, we were talking about how Elijah asked them to pour out water in a drought to get God to rain, right? They were not at all aware of where they were living and the situation that they were under. And too often we live at the point where there is too much month at the end of the money. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We go paycheck to paycheck, and we think this is the way it's supposed to be. 
But last week when we were in that message talking about Elijah, I said this. I said it is not a normal part of God's plan for his people to be in a drought. It is just not. Nowhere has God said, you are my people, you will, you will live without. You are my people, you will experience a drought. No, no, no. God always uses a drought to get our attention. And so here's what God had to do. He had to show up and announce, look, the way you're living, the doing without, and the troubles that you have, you don't even realize it, but that's a negative situation compared to the positive one I want for you. I think that's important for us to see. So what is, what, what is this thing that God talks about? You're robbing me in tithes and contributions. This is, I'm just going to make this as simple as I can. God has said there's something that belongs to him. And unfortunately, we've heard this preached and people get, oh, it's the law and oh, it's, you know, rules and all oh, this kind of stuff. Well, first of all, it's not the law. Tithing started over 500 years before God ever gave the law to Moses. This is, has nothing to do with the law. This has to do with one incredibly simple concept. God says, I want you to honor me with something and that something belongs to me. Now, let me try to give you an analogy that will help you with this. I have four children and I live on a cul-de-sac. And that means that kids are always out and neighbors are always out and people are always doing things. And so the guy that lives right beside us, his name is Vince, and my kids love to talk to him. I think they love to talk to him more than he likes to be talked to, which might explain why he didn't have four kids. But anyway, my kids especially love to go over and tell them all the things that is going on in their lives, all the things that are going on in their world. And, and so they're always, you can just see the look on his face like, Jimmy, please help me. Can you, like, because he's polite. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice. I want you to imagine for a minute that I'm watching this. I'm standing in my driveway. My kids are running over to talk to Vince. And they say, hey, Dad. Do you all see the problem with that? You see, I want to be honored by my children. And there's something that belongs to me. And it's the word dad. It's very simple. I could have asked many things of my kids. I could have asked that every day when I come home from work that they're in the driveway and bowing down. <laughs> oh, Father, we thank you for your hard work today and all your time. No, I didn't ask for that. I could have told them to meet me at the street with dark chocolate because that would be cool, but no, I didn't ask for that. I just said, I'm dad. Don't call me father because that means that there's a something separated in our relationship. Don't call me Mr. Currents because then you, you, that means you don't know me. Don't call me Jimmy because that means you have no respect for me. And don't call somebody else dad. No, call me dad because dad belongs to me. And if you take what belongs to me and give it to someone else, it's going to have a problem with how you honor me. So whatever you've ever heard about this ties and contributions and all of this stuff, and you think, oh, that's the law, and oh, that's the rules. No, 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 it's simply God saying, in order for you to honor me, there's something you have that belongs to me. And it just it belongs to me. It's just that simple. And so here is what God says. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So, so far, God has told us about who he is and why we can trust the promise. Then God has told us the situation in which you live is not normal, nor is it my plan for you. I have to announce to you what's going wrong. And finally, we reach the part. What does God want from us? Only one simple thing. It's funny, as short as this sentence is, it is probably the most objected to sentence in all of the Bible. It's the one that causes Christians the most uproar. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In case you're wondering, there is nowhere in Scripture that you will find God using the words my house to mean anything other than where people come to worship him, where his children, his family gathers to worship him. 
So what does that mean today? It means the church, the local church, wherever you go to worship God with your spiritual family, that is what my house means when God says it in Scripture. So then the other part, he says, bring the full tithe. I love it. He didn't leave any wiggle room. Bring the full tithe. Because I know what y'all going to be like in 2017 when y'all read my word. Bring the full tithe. Let's make sure we get this thing straight. And, and I'm going to help out a little bit here because people always ask me this question. What does it mean to tithe? Do you tithe on the gross? Do you tithe on the net? And usually I don't even bother to answer this question, but I've been asked that question so much. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that, that there is a correct answer to that question. Because that question is not a biblical question. It's not a Christian question. It's a Western question. If you were to go to a tribe in Africa or, or a tribe in, in some other country or somewhere where people are paid by what they actually get at that moment, at that day, they're paid in cash or they're paid in some other form, they've never heard the difference between gross and net. They think those are words we made up in economics class. Because, see, here's the difference between gross and net. Your bills. Did y'all catch that? See, what happens is people have figured out some of us are not real good at paying our bills. And so there are certain institutions that say, I get paid first because I don't trust you. One of them is the American government. And they said, you have a bill for being a citizen. Those roads you drive on, which by the way, that money apparently doesn't filter down to our state. Have you all noticed that? <laughs> that army that protects you. And whatever else it is about our country, now look, I know you don't agree with all of the spending and you don't agree with all of the policies, but we do like roads, we do like schools, we do like hospitals, and we do like the fact that there is not a gun pointed at our head telling us to speak another language. So let's just be honest, we do like our life. And so as an American citizen, you get a bill. You would like money after you stop working. It's called retirement. So your retirement plan sends you a bill. And you would like your medical insurance covered. And so they send you a bill and they do these bills before you ever get your paycheck. So the question of should I tithe on my gross or my net really means this to a Westerner. Should I tithe on what I make or on what I have left after they've paid some of my bills for me? We don't really need to ask that question, which is why God says bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Because God says give me the first 10%. The word tithe simply means 10%. We still use a very old word. Some people are like, who made up that word? What is that word all about? No, no, no. Everybody knew what that word meant a long time ago. It means a tenth. It should say bring the full tenth into the storehouse if we wrote it in contemporary English because that's what that word means. There's, there's no rationalizing what the word means. And it said God tells us to give, us the first, give him the first 10% of our increase. Now, I'm going to tell you something my wife and I have learned over the years, and that is to realize that everything that we get comes from God. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you bring me cookies, I do not save one of them and put it in the bucket on Sunday. I don't put a stale cookie in the bucket. Oh, look, honey, you can only eat nine of those cookies. We don't do that. And if somebody gives me a shirt for my birthday, I don't cut off the sleeve and put it in the bucket. I'm not that legalistic about it. But anytime I get spendable cash, I recognize it as a gift, and I recognize it as not from a human but from God. If it's a birthday gift, if it's a random gift out of the blue, if it's a Christmas gift, if it's a bonus, whatever it is. Now, I, I, you can decide what you want to do with this. If you just want to stick to your paycheck and everything else is, you, you think it's coming from some other source, I, I just, I'm like, hey, God, thank you. 
And so I'm going to tell you a story, a really funny story. As we, as we purposed in our hearts that we were going to give God 10% of everything, whatever it was, not cookies, but again, whatever else that God gave us. And we had a problem a couple of years ago where we needed some money to pay something that was pretty significant. It was actually $3,060. Might have been like $3,058, but it was pretty close to $3,060. But check this out. As we began praying that God would give us the money to take care of the situation, $3,060, that God would give us this. And then the thought hit me, what are you going to do when he does? Because if God gives you that, are you still going to honor him? So I had to decide before he gave it to me, yeah, I'm going to honor him. And we'll figure out where the other 300 coming from because I'm going to honor God. So one Sunday right after that, somebody walks up and hands me a check. But it wasn't for 3060 It was for 3400 Times 10, 0.10, 0.1, 340, leaves, 3,060. God gave me enough to honor him because I said I would and still pay what we needed to pay to get through the situation we were in. How cool is God? That's how cool God is. I don't say that to brag. I just say that to explain to you what I was teaching earlier. You can't outgive God as long as we are honoring him. So what is the promise? Back to that. The promise that God has for us. Here we go. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I know a lot of people read this now and they say, oh, well, this is an irrelevant passage. It's Old Testament and it's talking about a farmer and it doesn't mean anything to me. Well, yes, it was written to people who got most of their livelihood through their agrarian culture. I can do this. Agrarian culture, it's what they did. They grew things. And that is what created their ability to trade or to sell for money and then to buy things. But if we were to put this into 2017 English, it would say so that I will rebuke the devourer for you so it will not destroy the fruits of your labor. Simply put, what you go out to work, that it will not destroy the fruits of your labor. And your ability, your ability to produce income shall not fail to bear. And what is the result? Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight. So here's the first reality we need to understand. You have an enemy. Are you all aware of that? Now, we seem to think that we have an enemy that just wants us to go not to heaven, right? We seem to think we have an enemy that just wants us to be sick and miserable. But you actually have a, an enemy that wants you to be poor and broke so that you will do a couple of things. The first one is you will question God's goodness. There is an enemy who wants to take away from you all of the blessing and provision that God has for you so that you look up at heaven and go, God, where is your promise? God, you are not good. God, you are not faithful to your word. And then, as a result of that, the enemy wants us to keep our focus on what little bit we have left that barely takes care of the broken stuff we have on earth so there is nothing left to take care of what God is doing. That's what the enemy wants. Now, here's a question for you. How many of you would like to take on that enemy on your own? Fist fight. Who wants to try to defeat that enemy in your own life? Nobody? All right, how cool is this? How many of you would love it if God would tag team with you to beat the enemy? All right, put your hands down because you're all wrong. Don't y'all read your Bible? No, 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 it's not a tag team. There is nothing at all about tag team in this. God did not say, I'll do what you can't. God did not say, will you just ring the bell? I'll jump in. No, 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 here's what God says. If you will honor me, then I want you to get some popcorn, sit down on your couch, and watch the show. I'm going to take the enemy out for you. That's his promise. 
No tag teaming. You don't even get blood. You don't even get dirty. You've got tickets to the show. He says, pour down a blessing for you until there is no more need, which means abundance when I read that. And he says, all nations, meaning everybody who looks upon you will call you blessed. Here's what you need to understand, that they will see a delight. God's plan has always been for his people to be blessed. He did this in the very beginning with a guy named Abraham, and he said that I will make you a father of all my people for generations to come. Your people, you will be blessed. This is God's intent. Poor and broke is not God's intent. Being in a drought is not God's intent. This is not God's plan for his people. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we're all going to be multimillionaires, nor are we all going to drive a Porsche, but it is not God's plan for his people to do without and to be in lack. That is not his intent. If we're there, there's something else going wrong, and it might be that this promise is not being fulfilled in your life. I've got a friend of mine that I eat lunch with on occasion and talk to and uh, lives here in the city, and, and uh, he is a millionaire. I think every one of us in the room would call him rich. If you looked at his lifestyle, you'd say he is rich. Very nice house and has more than one. Nice cars. He's rich. He has a lot of money. And one of the problems we have as Christians when we look at rich people is we say, well, they should have given all of that away to the poor. Somehow, though, we think it's okay that we keep our medium amount of money for us, but the rich people have to give it all away to the poor. Okay, so that, yeah, that's not biblical, but anyway. Or we think they're just stingy. No, you know what the reality is, is they're simply living out the fact that you can't outgive God. Because I'm going to tell you a story. So I checked with him this week. I wanted to get the details right about the timing of this and everything. And if you were to look at him today because he owns multiple businesses and, and is just doing really well, you would think that he's been doing this his whole life. The truth is he's very new into his situation. That not many years ago, very, very few years ago, he, was, he had a good job and he had a little bit of money. But then God told him to quit his job. So he did. And at a time when he quit his job and had no idea what was coming, had no future whatsoever, a little bit of money in savings, the question hit him as he was driving home. He told his boss, I, I don't know why, but I've just got to quit. God told me to quit. He walked away from the job as he's driving home. The thought hit him. We have made a commitment to help build an orphanage in Guyana. It was something their church was doing. And they, because they had a decent job, had made a very sizable commitment. Something that would cost many of us many, many months of our pay. Gross pay, that is you're asking and so he thought shall we wait until we have a job again and the holy spirit told him no no and, and he wrote this to me this week to make sure i got the words right he said god was asking us was our security in our savings or our savior so they gave their savings to build an orphanage in guyana ghana and as a result of that, then they immediately ended up with this new situation where he is now owning a business, multiple businesses, and doing incredibly well. The truth is you can't outgive God. And we always think we'll give after God does something, but God says, no, you're going to do something so that I can give. So let's get down to why. I think that's the most important question today. You might want to ask, why does God ask us to tithe? Y'all do realize God could say, just give me one. Why did God say 10? You do realize God could say, keep your money. Here's what I want from you. I want you to go to church at 7.32 p.m. five days a week. Why did God say, in order to honor me, I want the first 10%? Why did he say this? It's because tithing is how God teaches us to be open-handed. This is how God teaches us to be open-handed. Check out what happens when we tithe regularly. The first thing is it becomes a regular part of our lives to let go. 
of the stuff that we could have, which tears the grip of materialism and greed and selfishness out of our lives on a regular basis. Because we get paid regularly. You know, sometimes we get it into our heads that we had one great victory. There was a, a, a preaching on, on giving, and, and the church was doing an outreach, and, and you sacrificially gave up your vacation money, and you gave towards that project. But a year later, you hadn't given anything, and you're thinking, oh, I'm good with it. No. It's creeped back in, crept back in, whatever you, whatever. <laughs> I was educated in South Carolina. Don't blame me. It becomes a regular part of our life to let go. Also, it becomes a regular part of our lives to obey God's commands when we see them in Scripture. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, this isn't the only thing you're going to read in the Bible you don't like. This isn't the only thing God's going to say. Don't do it the way you want to do. You know those days when you want to, like, kill your spouse and bury him in the backyard? And the Bible says, no. This is not the only thing that you're going to see in the Bible but it's where we regularly, because we get paid regularly, we regularly remind ourselves we will do what God says. Number three, it becomes a regular part of our lives to do a checkup for these things like greed and materialism and selfishness that we're talking about. You see, people with a physical heart condition, as soon as the doctor fi figures out there's something not right in your heart and it could stop working at a certain moment, you end up where you need to go to the doctor on a regular basis so that they can do regular checkups. They need to make sure you're not going to drop dead at any given moment. And so they're watching for that. And some of us go to the doctors once a decade, but people with that heart condition are going to go once every month or, or once every quarter or whatever the doctor says because we need to keep a watch. Well, people with a spiritual heart condition, and the Bible says that's all of us, the people with a spiritual heart condition need to keep a checkup going. And so God says, every time you get paid, we're going to do a checkup. And we're going to find out just where the greed is and just where the selfishness is and just where the materialism is and so forth. And then the last one, it becomes a regular part of our lives to invest in his church and its mission on the earth. And because once you begin to invest in something, you begin to care about it. And God wants us to care about his family and what his family is doing. You know, sometimes I stand up here and say, hey, man, we had so many people give their lives to Christ last week. And some people are like, yes! And other people are like, golf clap. You know why? Because you're not invested. So you don't care. I've never followed stocks. I'm not a stock person. I couldn't tell you, really, a, a couple of years ago, what all was going on in the stock world. I, I, I never knew. But then the, my portfolio manager began to talk to me about how to retire and told me, he said, what, you know what, a lot of your stock is in this and a lot of your stock is in that. And then I suddenly, on my iPhone, I'm, I'm watching stocks every day like, I'm invested in this company, how are they doing? I start to listen for their name in the news only because I care, because I'm invested. It's very simple. Here's the truth. Being open-handed begins toward God. Being open-handed begins toward God. So let me just offer you a timeout. If you don't like when someone teaches on tithing, then just, just, just stop thinking about it. If, if you tuned out the minute that I said, turn to Malachi 3, because there are people who know what's coming. Some of you know the Bible. Some of you are like, Malachi 3, here we go again. Honey, why didn't we skip today? Right, if, if that's where you were, I just want you to... to Stop and, and answer a different question. Being open-handed begins toward God. You know why? Because if we're not going to be open-handed toward Him, we're never going to be open-handed toward anybody or anything. And here's the reason. 
He is your creator. He is your provider. He is your savior. And if we're not going to look at that and say, thank you, God. I mean, which one of us was in some alternate universe going, ooh, I can't wait to come into being. Can't wait to make myself. The fact that you are here is a gift of your creator. The fact that you do not do without is a gift of your provider. And the fact that you have salvation, eternity with God is a gift of your savior. So let me just ask you this. You could ignore everything else I said today. What if God never gave you a number? What if he never said it was 10? What would you say is appropriate to honor your creator, your provider, your savior? I mean, would any of us actually try to rationalize with the one who redeemed us from hell? That, yeah, single digit sounds good to me. The truth is we should all fall on our faces and say, you're kidding, this is all you want? 10% of some paper stuff that we get on occasion? And for that, I get eternity? I get forgiveness? I got life that I couldn't have made happen? Are you kidding? Being open-handed begins toward God. Now, I'm gonna stop and just say at this point, I know everybody here knows correct response. This is not one of those messages. Well, here's what you need to do. I mean, we already know there's only one way to put this into practice, but we also know how difficult that is. I have never to this day met someone, not in the church or out, who is spending less than 90% of their money. That when someone taught them this, they said, oh, this is going to be easy because every month I put like, you know, 15% in a savings account and I don't even know the savings number. I can't even get it back. I, you know, I just, I'm just throwing money away. Right? Any, anybody? No one has ever done that. So everyone I've ever met is going to have to take a very tough first step. And so we, as the elders of Grace Life, the leaders want to help you do that. You know, the Bible tells you that if you are sick, to call the elders and ask them to lay hands on you. And there are at least two reasons for that. One of which is God's given them a position of authority. And so they have a place to pray for you. But the second thing is this. God has said, look, if you get to a point where you're sick and you've been praying, you've been praying, you've been praying, and you're, you're not sure I'm going to show up and your faith is not strong. He said, I want you to go to people whose faith is the strongest, people who have experience seeing me move. And I want you to ask them to pray for you because they've got faith to see that I'm going to move. Well, we want to extend the exact same promise to you in your finances. And so in your seat, when you came in, there was a card and it's called the 90-day challenge. The 90-day tithing challenge is very simple. Here's the way it works. We're going to give you our faith. We believe so strongly in God's word that if you will tithe for 90 days, the first 10% of everything that God gives you, and God doesn't prove himself to be true, we'll give it back. No, you don't have to have an interview with the pastor. All you have to do is say you want it back. No, you don't have to send us your W-2s. All you have to do is say you want it back. We're just giving you our faith. We're giving you our faith. So right now, you have an opportunity. For those of you that are watching online, you need to know this is not timed by today. If you're watching this six months from now, these are in the information center. 
You can fill this out. You can start today. If you need to talk to your spouse, you can start next week. You can start in a month. You get to put the start date on it. And then you give God the first 10% for 90 days and see what he does. And if you're disappointed, we'll give you your money back. So if you think this is a ploy from us, it's not. And I've said this every time I've ever preached on this passage, and I will continue to say it. I'll say it again today. If you think that I am just after your money, please, please, please get a new church and tithe there. Because this is about you. It's about the reason that you're not living in what is normal for God's people. What's normal is an abundance that people look at you and say you're blessed. Why? Because God wants the world to look at his people and say their God is good. That's the reason. And so for any of you, your neighbors would look and go, man, you're struggling. Then please, end the drought. Please respond to the challenge. Our faith, God's promise, what do you have to lose? Will you take the challenge? I want to end by sharing a story with you. If you'll watch the video, this is someone here who took the challenge to tithe. See what God did. I was working a really, really difficult job, like cleaning carpets, doing a lot of industrial cleaning. And it was taxing on me physically and mentally, but also uh, financially. I wasn't making ends meet with the job, to be completely honest. One night after I had a really rough night at work, I came and I sat down on the couch. And my mom came and said, why aren't you tithing? And I told her, well, I don't even have enough money to do all the things that I have to do, all the commitments that I have, all the, all the things that I'm, you know, required to meet. Um, I'm not even making, making ends meet there, so how can, I, how can I find room in my budget to give 10% to God? I'd been applying for a lot of jobs um, to get out of the work I was in, and I hadn't had any success with getting any interviews, and I had begun to tithe um, after we had that, me and my mom had that conversation and two days after I paid my first tithe I got three job interviews and I got offers from two of those jobs and both of them were meeting needs that I really needed God to meet. They came with benefits, they were a pay increase they, they were meeting every need that I needed and more. All the reluctancy, all the, the doubt that I felt about giving that, that small 10% back then, um, it was just immediately erased. I was willing and eager to give after, after he just gave me that little, that little hint that he was there through that. Cool story, amen? Yeah. I want to close by talking to those of you who need the first and most important promise in your life, it's the one I talked about earlier where God says, my promise of eternal life. All you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for you. It's a simple statement that says, Jesus, you died for me. Now I want to live for you. There's no magic in standing up or coming down front of a church. There's not even a magic in a prayer. So today we're going to skip that, which we normally do. All I'm going to say is this. On the back of the row in front of you, there's a blue connection card. And on that card, if you take a moment and fill that out, you can indicate what God is doing in your life today. And please take that blue card to someone in a blue shirt at the blue tent so that they can celebrate with you about the decision you're making and what you are doing to say, 
I want that promise in my life. I want the promise that God has of eternal life for me. And, and they'll do whatever they can from give you a Bible to pray with you. We're going to finish our time. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.